If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next warlock is going to be terribly tragic. And here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to how can we weave warlock patrons into our characters in a more satisfying way? And are there ways to bring the warlock patron relationship into the game without overpowering the game? And what story elements can we consider from the start to make sure that our warlocks stay engaging? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother Jordan. You've heard about the dark magics and the sexy smoldering eyes. Some packs with otherworldly entities to give you impossible powers. A built-in NPC in the form of a warlock patron from another plane of reality that always has your back. And every time you get into a fight, there's going to be a heavy metal soundtrack and a lot of skulls popping out of the surrounding <laughs> environment, I yeah. guess. And, uh, you know, black clothes or slimming. And baked into this character is some awesome role play. You've got badass spells like inky tentacle wisps that strangle your enemies. And a discounted hot topic. Sure. Well, think again, you misinformed misfit, because instead of a sexy misunderstood misanthrope, you made the equivalent of a badass of Tuesday morning bowling. Oh. <laughs> that doesn't sound terribly great. No, no. You've probably got a mysterious backstory that no one's ever going to hear about. You are going to end up being the wallflower at the party that goes home early in a huff because no one is asking you why you're so <laughs> moody and broody in the corner. It just makes you more moody and broody. <laughs> It's a cycle. <laughs> yeah, it's a ever ever circling cycle. So yeah. Do you want to share anything, Travis? Kind of put me on the spot here. Alright. I did this. I'll admit it. Hello. My name is Travis and I'm an edgelord. Hello, Travis. It's been eight years since my last warlock. And we've talked about all the ways in which you've uh, kind of mucked about with that. <laughs> but it's also been about three and a half years since our last episode on warlocks. I feel like this is my greatest shame. Like it has come up in our episodes a lot more than really anything else is <laughs> just me creating edgelords or literally just one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one how you in my heal. early days. Yeah. yeah I don't bring is... up my shames and they're buried deep. <laughs> so this whole podcast is really just a, a story of my journey to redemption and healing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You know, going back to the uh, the ancient episode that we shall not speak of because it was our eighth episode ever and it was, it's rough to listen to at this point. Yeah. And it wasn't technically on warlocks. It was on a devil as a warlock patron. Right. Technically like a subclass episode. Where a lot of our class episodes, we try to do a baseline and we'll revisit them later, but this one, we kind of did it in the wrong order, and we're not proud of it, so don't listen to it, even though we're talking about it now. <laughs> Just listen to this one. Yeah. Upwards and onwards. Bury that shame. So we went a little hard on the warlock just now. I mean, 
the badass of Tuesday morning bowling might be a bit of a stretch. But you know, the, the general vibe that we're going for here is, you know, you make a character and it has all of the, the traits that you think are just metal. Like, yeah. it's awesome. And you're like, yes, this character's so cool and I cannot wait to play him. And then it just doesn't land. There's something about it that's like intrinsically broken. Right. They've got all the flavor figured out, but something's still missing. And honestly, for the longest time, I didn't understand why I loved them so much. And after Jordan and I did such a deep dive on these warlock friends, there are themes that are just intrinsic to the warlock. Themes of greed and obsession and power that can't be controlled manipulation, dark pacts that we know are wrong, but the temptation has us and it just claws us in. And we all kind of understand that. And that's what makes warlocks so cool. So we kind of need to understand what to do with all that flavor rather than just pack on more flavor. Well, exactly. You can't just keep like piling it on. Otherwise, all you've got is just window dressing. Like there's no substance underneath. Right, and I think you did exactly that because you kept adding more trinkets and gadgets to your, <laughs> your warlock, thinking yeah, yeah. that would bring so them. Backstory, <laughs> just trying to figure out. But you're right. It wasn't until I went back and I dissected my own edgelord from long ago that I could improve upon that internal mechanism, that, that beating heart of this warlock. He was so one-dimensional, when I went back to try to develop him again, it resulted in an idea that the GM Tim Jordan and I liked enough that it would eventually become the inspiration for an article that we've just finished writing together with MCDM's Arcadia magazine. Yeah, little side note, we're going to be published in Arcadia soon and as calm as I sound right now, <laughs> Travis and I are losing our minds over it. Yeah. Yeah, literally the entire time we were writing, we were just like, what the actual fuck? Like, we probably, <laughs> what the hell are we doing here? Anyways, it'll be good, and we'll have more information on that for you as the story develops. Stay tuned. <laughs> well, taking it back to the topic at hand, without thinking through what draws us to warlocks in the first place and taking some inspiration, you can easily end up with a character that has all the looks of a Black Sabbath poster in just as flimsy and shallow as the paper that it's printed <laughs> on. Like, that's what I ended up with, and that's what I went back and restructured, and that's how we ended up here. That's a cool poster. That That is a cool poster. <laughs> so let's look at what's underneath the Warlock, figure out what themes and structures we can use to make them actually compelling, and throw on all that flavor at the end or use it for inspiration, but not just stop there and make your warlock legendary. Well, let's get our asses to the kinship camp. This is kinship camp where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. So if you're listening to this episode, you're probably playing or planning a warlock. You have some idea of what they are, but I think the briefest way to describe the warlock and their story potential is a character that has some kind of arrangement with a powerful force, and they're getting their power from this force. And most of this whole vibe traces back to one source, 
and we give a big thanks to our terribly intelligent friend Olo Clark for reminding us of the Faustian principles and where some of the origins of warlocks come from in our Discord. If you're unfamiliar, Faust is a character from German folklore, which is really cool, but we don't have time to do a deep dive on Faust because <laughs> really there's a lot. Dude basically made a deal with the devil for unattainable knowledge and vast power. And that is, right there is the beating heart of warlocks. And ultimately, these Faustian bargains are tragic or self-defeating for the person that makes them because they have to surrender something that is ultimately far more valuable than what they get out of the deal with their patron, whether or not they appreciate that fact. And in D&D, what I think is interesting about this and what we have to play with is that we got a character whose power isn't their own, which is pretty different from the rest of the classes. Yeah. And not only that, but their power is not coming from a reliable source like the cleric or the paladin. See, that right there is so frigging cool because this shit can be taken away. Forces of good are good. They're reliable, like you say. <laughs> they're they're uh, giving and generous. Or, or so, even a for, uh, god of war <laughs> is at least predictable and reliable. They, they want war. <laughs> exactly. Today they want war. Tomorrow they're going to want war. However, the tenuous relationship that a warlock has with his patron is subject to a temper tantrum or not doing something right. And now all of a sudden it's gone. Like, that's interesting. Yeah. And those clerics or paladins are usually making a deal for a reasonable amount of power that they can work with. The whole warlock idea is, here's a shit ton of power that you don't know what to do with. And it's going to overwhelm everything you thought you knew about yourself. And that Faustian bargain isn't the only place that we can take inspiration from for warlocks. That one is most directly represented in the Fiend patron, which is one of the three original subclasses of warlock. There's now many more available to you, but original three here. And then you've also got like tapping into unknown, untold, forbidden sources of power. Which is represented with the Great Old One subclass. That's based on all those Lovecraftian tales. Yeah. And then we've got cautionary tales about disobeying cultural values. Which is like fairy tales. Yeah. This is the Archfey subclass. But, you know, all of the Grimm's fairy tales are all really just like, obey your parents. Yeah. <laughs> stop. Don't go into the woods. <laughs> Please stop running into the woods. We don't have <laughs> smartphones. It, it was really just trying to keep children <laughs> safe from bears, but we invented a whole bunch of D&D monsters just by trying to keep kids safe. Yeah. But what these stories all kind of have in common is that the protagonist's morality is put to the test. They have a temptation... They have a thing that they should do. It it really is that. It it comes down to that morality piece of what is right and what is easy. Yeah. <laughs> Warlock powers are easy. Monks had to sit there and meditate for years. Barbarians had to live a hard, hard life. <laughs> they got a lot of battle <laughs> scars to show how they earned their powers. Yeah. And warlocks literally just sign away their soul. <laughs> it takes 35 seconds to have power that you have not earned. Yeah. And that's like, that's core to this. Exactly. So we want to figure out how to build a good warlock. That's, that's why you're listening to this episode. And what it really boils down to is your character, 
and making sure that we develop that deeply, the patron, and then the story, that arc, that journey that we're going to take the character on. So let's start with your character. And as always, you're going to need to develop a fleshed out character here. To do that, you can always go to hookandchance.com, check out our little character builder. But something we really want to focus on here is the character's want and need, because that's kind of important to the warlock. It's going to help so much with that moral struggle that they face later on in their story. In order to do this, we really need to come up with what their outward goal is. So the thing that they need the power for that they think will fix their problem. And this is always kind of represented by just like the shortest route to having the thing that you want. Especially with the warlock, if it's an unnatural thing that you want. Like, hey, uh, my dog died and I don't like that. So let's bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you've ever wished for superpowers, you're essentially attempting to become a warlock. Yeah. Like, if you're daydreaming about what you would do with super speed. <laughs> you, warlock. <laughs> tone it down a bit. You've done this. Keep it in check. And then the need is the thing that will actually bring them some form of peace or happiness or fulfillment. Like you said, Travis, it's a harder road to walk. It's much more involved than just saying, yep, I'll take your powers. And that's why I love warlocks is because we're all, we've all got that lazy peace within <laughs> us. It's just like, God damn it. I wish there was a shorter route yeah. to money and power and success. I would sign my soul away for such things. I mean, when I'm falling asleep at night and I don't want to get up to turn off the light, I would probably <laughs> sign away some important part of myself. The laziness has reached a new lows, folks. It's not a great story, but it's mine. I think there's a really good example that we could probably use that we're both, uh, you know, fans of. Yes. <laughs> and that's Star Wars. And it's also something that uh, you might be familiar with. You know, it's a fairly large. Uh... <laughs> Some people have heard of this series called Star Wars. <laughs> it's rather big in our <laughs> culture, you could say. But Anakin Skywalker, the story of Anakin Skywalker is essentially that deal with the devil. He is the tragedy underneath it. And that was really the core of all of the prequel films is watching this tragedy unfold. It was the actually, sorry, the it's two tragedies. It's like a turducken of tragedy. The first tragedy is watching Anakin's descent to the dark side. The second tragedy was the fact that they slapped a C-span on top of this story <laughs> and were just like, let's let's immerse this great story in a whole fuck ton of politics. Yes, How about that? Yes, yes. What I was craving after those first three movies was more politics. <laughs> I want to know how, where the trade routes go. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it wasn't perfectly executed. Yeah, we can say that. But it's easy to remember some of these story beats. So Anakin's want, let's just keep it simple. Otherwise, we get into the weeds was for Padme to live. Yeah, and to be respected and ha you know have a ton of influence and power because yeah, that's yeah. what it, he was he was kind of always selfish in that sense. And the Jedi weren't immediately recognizing his glory. He wanted a faster route. But his need was to take the slow road and learn a little humility and understand what his Jedi masters were trying to teach him. Yeah. And 
true to form, he took a shortcut. And I know we shouldn't judge books by their covers, generally. Where are you going with this? But he should have judged Palpatine by his cover. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's got a scrotum for a face and he wears all black. And he literally says, I am the dark side. (laughs) And he talks about how he should embrace his rage. Those are not things that a good mentor do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in the history of villains... Good villains typically see themselves as the good guy, like they're trying to do something noble. (laughs) And there is zero amount of that in Palpatine. (laughs) I'm bad. Come hang out with me. I think our good friend, the GM Tim, hit this one uh, incredibly on the head with his uh, sick throat voice. Darth Plagueis the Wise called us dark Sith because black is slimming. <laughs> yes, he he nails it. All right. So that's some things you got to think about with your character. Next we got to develop your patron. And with this working with your DM is so important. First of all, it's always very challenging for one person to role play a conversation between two characters and if you don't get your DM in on this, then you have to play your patron and your warlock and you have to have a lot of arguments between the two. That's awkward. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. This to me feels really kind of essential if you are going to play a warlock. It's kind of similar to we did a whole episode on the ranger and how essential it is to have a conversation with your DM about playing a ranger. Because as a ranger, if you don't choose the right favored terrain and the right favored enemy, you're kind of screwed. So when you're developing your warlock patron, a conversation with your DM to just say like, hey, any suggestions? I'm, I don't want to know the end game here, but if you can lay down anything for me. Right. Um, plot points that I can lean into, demons that I can maybe reach out to and ask for help from, like anything to really kind of help it work into the story. And if the two of you are working together to turn this patron into a... Uh living and breathing NPC in the world, it's going to play out so much better. Not doing this definitely results in the like, let's see how I can shoehorn my patron into conversation rather than it potentially being a major plot point of the story that you're playing. Right. And without doing this, there's a couple huge problems that can come up in gameplay, whether it's, you know, the warlock just becoming a silent loner to you trying to force your way into the story with your warlock (laughs) and you're talking about your patron who's this big bad devil that never shows up yeah but like at worst the dm has to incorporate them last minute and like make them shake hands with the big bad of the story and it gets really really forced i guess also you kind of end up in that scenario where you keep kind of referring to the devil that you made a pact with without any of the other players really kind of understanding why. Yeah. And this ties into determining what their goal is. Why did they make a pact with the devil? Did they do it just because they're kind of edgy and cool and they smoked cigarettes in high school and that's why they did it? Or are they doing it to get that shortcut? To get what they want. And that is coming back to that goal and how essential that is. 
Yeah, and the goal for the warlock is very much tied to the, that want and need that we talked about. The goal for the patron is also really important to define. Otherwise, it, the story doesn't really make sense either. And this is where the DM comes in, because only they can tie it into the story that they're laying out for you. So what does that patron want? They might want something that is intrinsically related to the story that you're trying to tell. That big gem at the end that they're going into the dungeon to get, turns out the patron actually wants that. Yeah, because it's jam-packed with souls. There you go. You got a soul stone <laughs> that they're after. And now all of a sudden, holy shit, rather than it being a fetch quest for some treasure, it becomes a moral choice at the end of, do the other players let the warlock actually turn this in for the rest of their power to appease their patron? Do they forego the money? Everything becomes morality after that. Yeah, and then we get some juicy role play between all of the other party members and your warlock. Because if you don't disclose any of this to the group and it's just an internal battle, then we got no we got no gameplay happening. We got no role play happening. Yeah. There's pretty much infinite goals you can give to this patron, but it can certainly be fun to have goals that are specific to who that warlock is. Then it's it's more about the character. Like, does the patron want that specific mortal because they're good at something? Are they just adding mortals to their collection of mortals? What's yeah. what's their deal? There's a there's a lot of fun you can have with this. And that flavor of the patron can really start to inspire. From a DM's perspective, too, I want to be able to talk to my players about this because I can, you know, I'm not so tied to the story that I'm trying to tell that I won't work with whether or not your patron is a devil, a fae, or something in between. I can work with that as a DM. So as a DM, I really want my players to tell me about this so I can tie them into the story deeper. Going back to old Anakin. Yeah, what the hell did Palpatine want in the first place? What was his motivation? <laughs> well, I think it was pretty shallow. I think he just wanted followers to come over to the dark side. Yeah, but they were always working in secret. I don't know that that holds up. Huh. He just It was just a personal pet project for him <laughs> to turn Anakin. <laughs> it was just fun. This is my performance art. Yeah. I am evil. For the <laughs> sake of being evil, it's meant to make you think about good and evil. It's meant to conjure questions. Maybe it was just uh, putting in his hours for his <laughs> skill and his craft. You got to hit that 10,000 hours. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to boost his charisma points. <laughs> I like it. The next step that we need to take is we need to determine the relationship that the patron is going to have with our character. Right, and I think there's a few archetypes that we can lean on here. You've got the classic all-powerful. Maybe they don't know or care about this warlock tapping into their power source, and maybe they'll find out later. That could be fun, too. Maybe the warlock doesn't even know what power source they've tapped into, but they've found it, and now it's easy street because they have magical abilities. Yeah. And who knows who's going to come a-calling Either way, these are powers no mortal was meant to have. The next one is like an ally. So this could be kind of like that dynamic duo alliance vibe of like, you get this, I get this, and we're both going to go away happy. It could also be kind of an uneasy alliance where they're on 
either side of a moral fence already or a value fence. I kind of like that because it's like, who's going to screw who over yeah. in the end? Who's going to be the first one to break the deal? Yeah. And if you want to turn in this into an arc, you can. You can make it start uneasy and they can learn to trust each other and it actually becomes a meaningful alliance. What a heartwarming tale behind yeah. a man in black and his <laughs> demon. If you're doing this, the patron has to be kind of more down on the mortal level than the god level, like at least mentally. I think of this as more of the fae, like they're more um, yeah. emotionally driven and, and they're not so up in the clouds to be unknowable. And it's almost a transactional kind of thing that they work with, or at least that's the vibe that the fae always gave off to me. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to have to make a deal with you, but if I do, here you go. You're going to do this for me. Yeah. You could do a mentor. They're the character's guide to knowledge or morality or guide to darkness in Palpatine's case. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was very much the the Anakin-Palpatine relationship. Yeah. And you could really do a couple of different arcs with this. Like, you could go from trusted to combative or combative to trusted in this patron relationship. Right. I mean, Palpatine started off very trusted, but by the very end of Anovator's story... <laughs> He did turn on him eventually. I love that we can just combine those. <laughs> Anna Vader. Yeah. That's that's what his final name was. You know, when Vader went back to being good and he said, <laughs> my new name is Anna Vader. It and really he, sounds like a vacuum cleaner. And he kissed Luke on the forehead and then he died. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it ended. Very good. The trickster is very popular in the warlock space because they can pull the old bait and switch. The patron can tell them one thing and then totally change the game on them because they have the power in this situation. Well, I mean, that's like, that's a classic kind of devil story. Yeah. Of you signed this contract, but you didn't read the fine print or I did some wordplay <laughs> and I gotcha. Yeah. You don't read Latin and I did half of it in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> and then the final one is just the, the straight up antagonist. Yeah. They start bad. They end bad. They're, they could even be the big bad of the story. I kind of like this idea of the protagonist like tapping into some of their power and the patron doesn't necessarily like it, but for some reason maybe can't stop it. You know, the character is just kind of like, you know, a shyster. Like he's just getting away <laughs> with being able to tap into the patron's power. Nice. Knowing yeah, that, that they're the like the big bad of the story. Mm -hmm. Tapping him like a maple tree. And speaking of story... The next step is to really think about our character's story. Which starts with their warlock origins. And again, this is kind of laid out in our character creator on our website. If you just hit a few beats, you can think through how they came to meet their warlock and make it pretty dramatic. All it needs to be is your character having a problem, them finding out about their patron and this dark power that they can tap into, them debating it because of that wanton need that we talked about. Well, and they have to know that it's wrong. Yeah. Like, they have to. This is essential to the warlock story. They know it's wrong, and this is that whole morality piece, but they do it anyways. Yep, and that's that final step. They commit, and the actual game that we're going to play is going to deal with the repercussions of that choice. Yes. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> And now we get to talk about the story arc that you can play out throughout the game that you're about to undertake. And there are so, we've talked about story arcs 
till we're blue in the face. There's so many great story arcs out there, but really a lot of them boil down to some really, really simple concepts. And there's one type in particular that works so well with the warlock. And guess what? It's the morality story arc. All of them are essentially the morality story arc, but there are frameworks from within that can help you frame how you're going to approach that morality. Like our favorite one for this, which is very simply just called the testing arc. The simplest version of this is where the warlock is struggling between willpower or temptation, that altruism or selfishness, their want or their need. If you've ever played a video game with like a morality thing like Fable, this is a great example of can the character constantly try to do enough good despite the fact that they're making evil choices and just kind of watching that slider change from the middle ground. You're slightly good. You're slightly evil. You're trying to stay on the right track, but it's way better to get some of the bonuses that come from making the evil choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, warlock powers being those in this case. And if you're playing out this arc, the moment you want to look for near the climax of the story is going to be your opportunity to choose between those two things. Especially a final choice. Like it's going to come down to this one choice. You've been making it throughout the game every time you use your powers. Yeah. But in that final battle, do you sacrifice everything and save your entire party, maybe? Did you work with the DM to make sure that your patron was the big bad? And in killing the patron, you're going to sacrifice your character's entire abilities and you're going to go back to being a barkeep. Or are you going to choose evil in that final moment, turn against your party, join the baddie, and fall disgraced? Yeah, that's the good stuff. And even if you don't go down that path, you can make it a, a very cool moment where you're debating it. Well, that's the, the story of heroism versus tragedy. Is that end peace? And what I love about this is that you can play this character constantly being tested throughout the entirety. And like I just mentioned, every time you use your powers, you're choosing evil. You're choosing to use the powers that were granted to you that you don't really deserve. Yeah. And so that's a failure of morality, but you're using them to do good things. Right. You're being a hero. So whether or not you choose at the very end, you know, whenever your character is finally either got, you know, one hit <laughs> or a various number of things, you know that with your dying breath, you can either curse your patron with your dying breath or you can use channel your your magical energy somewhere else. But somewhere in there, it's either going to become a story of heroism and triumph or tragedy. And if you know what you're doing here, you can just decide that literally in that moment. Yeah. And your character story arc has come full circle and has <laughs> paid itself off. And how many of us get to say that our characters story arcs paid themselves off? Yeah. Woo. That's what we're all looking for. We usually just get fell by a dragon <laughs> and one hit and then we start rolling again. Or we just kill the dragon with no drama involved, <laughs> take its loot back and buy a mansion. Going back to our helmeted friend, he failed his test at the end of the prequels. As we all remember, he did some pretty nasty things. 
Also, he didn't respect the high ground. Yeah. Dumb. (laughs) He turned on his good mentor. But later on, he was tested again in the original trilogy, and he passed. Mm. Good point. Yeah. Oh, man, that was... See, that was why that moment was so good. Yeah. You knew he was evil. Then the camera does the close-up on his eyes, and he's looking there, and he's looking left and then right, and left and right, and something so simple had such a good payoff. Yeah. And now the rest of the arcs, we're going to rip through these. So you got Rise, which you start as a nobody, and your patron helps you achieve your goals and become a hero. Now, this could be considered more of the story of a cleric or a paladin, somebody, again, that wants you to succeed and is on your side from the start. No tricks up their sleeve. But maybe you're playing kind of a bad character, and this patron is just like, yeah, I really do want to see you get what you want in the end, because you're kind of a dick. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. You also got fall. Yeah, you can intentionally plan for your character to fail in the end. They start off well, they have a flaw, and... The patron drives them low with their power, exploiting that flaw again and again. All you got to do is ask your DM, can I start absolutely crazy wealthy as long as I don't use it for the game and I just fritter all of my money away on (laughs) stupid shit? Stacks of horses that we can't even use. Then you've got maturation. Where you want that warlock power, you gain it, you use it selfishly, and then you learn to use it altruistically. You got education. You start out purposeless. You make contact with a patron and they bring you a new source of education about reality and you slowly find purpose. Maybe that new purpose is even stopping the patron if they're a devil. I love it. You've also got disillusionment. Where they start out overly optimistic, maybe. Their patron shows them the hard truths of the world and they're trying to use this to bring them around to their cause. I think the warlock needs to resist that temptation throughout the entirety of the game. Yeah, it could be a lot of fun to play that conflict. Well, and I love that one because you start as a, like your character is a hero, but you're trying to be tempted to be bad. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a fun twist on the warlock, really. And I like the DM's ability to just swoop in as they're doing heroic shit and be like, look, this guy's actually a dick. You're protecting <laughs> an asshole that kicks dogs on the side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, should I be feeling so heroic about this? I don't yeah. know. Well, then you also have the redemption. Where your warlock did some terrible things, perhaps even with that warlockian power, Ooh. and they now regret it. This is super cool, because if you can't work your character into the DM story, perhaps this is a great way to say, you know what, the story happened already. This is how I got my warlock powers. Now I'm trying to make amends with it. Yeah. And that's why I follow all of these adventurers around doing good and noble things. I went into that group of younglings and we won't talk about what happened after that. (laughs) Nothing else (laughs) happened. And then we have Punitive, where a warlock with a powerful personality but dubious morals gets a lot with their selfishness until it all comes toppling down around them probably with the patron laughing in the background. This also is a really cool story arc to me, is just like watching the hero fell low. Like, it's the classic tragedy. It's so good. Because you know they deserve it in this case, though. This is that, like, Wolf of Wall Street, where an asshole who's respected by everyone around them, and you're like, I, they seem 
cool, but I know they're bad. And then they fall and you're like, yep, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you're like, there is no other way this could end. <laughs> and finally, we got to talk about some methods of role playing this in the game. Otherwise, again, you're just sitting there with that quiet loner. And I think that there's two really strong options for developing patron relationships in every session. You can either have one-on-one conversations outside of regular gameplay between the DM and that player just to help you grasp what they're going through and then you can talk to your other party members about it. Or you can have the patron actually show up in-game with some kind of avatar that the entire party can interact with. And I think this is my favorite option. It just allows roleplay. That's the whole point. Yeah, this really does break down that whole like how do I work my patron in these conversations into gameplay? How do I let anybody know what the hell is going on? Well, you just open up your magic talisman that is the portal to your patron and just be like, hey, we're going to have a convo. Uh, I want you to talk to the cleric and tell them <laughs> that, uh, you know, there's a better way to doing things. Hey, this shit's going down. All right. <laughs> you can back off. Yes. And that might seem really contrary to everything you know and believe about warlocks, that their patron's supposed to be this mystical background character. The enigmatic figure. It's like the uh, videos with somebody in like witness protection. It's just, you know, their <laughs> yeah. voice is garbled. <laughs> Who the hell are you talking to over there, you weirdo? But something to keep in mind that I struggle with sometimes too is that stories like that work better in movies and novels where it can take time to explore how the character is feeling. It can take pages and pages of inner dialogue and struggle, but we do not have that in D&D. We've got the other party members at the table to talk to. If you're playing a two-year-long campaign, you might be able to pull off the I'm having secret conversations kind of thing. But it might just be easier for your character to just outright have conversations, bring the warlock patron into the conversation and say, listen, you know what? I know you guys don't like them. I'm actually playing them. My plan is to do something. Like your character has an explanation as to why they're doing this deal with the patron. And that's what you really got to figure out because then you can explain away using the magic powers and, you know, doing favors for them throughout the entirety of your game because you're getting something good out of it. You're able to help and fight and do and progress the story with the rest of the players due to the powers that that patron is giving you. Yeah, you're able to help them with their goals too. Like Most parties are dubiously moral in the first place, <laughs> so they really shouldn't be putting up any walls about you dealing with devils. Yeah, there's so many flavor options with how this can play out. The devil patron can be summoning little imps that it possesses and sits on your shoulder, sits on the cleric's shoulder. The fae can be coming to be in wispiness and kind of like, you know, ghostly shadow figures that actually can speak to the party. I mean, this is the best part about coming up with a warlock. Yeah. Is coming up with a patron and how they show themselves and how they deal with you. Like, this is the fun of a warlock and we want to have that fun with you. So, I would encourage you to come to our Discord. We we would love to workshop a patron with you. If you have an idea for a bit of a warlock or a patron, and you just need help fleshing it out, the folks on the Discord, which you can find a link for 
at hookandchance.com, that's where you take those ideas. Together, we'll come up with pure gold. Yeah. We've got some people in there that are definitely as unendingly wise as patrons. And speaking of hellish demon folk that grant us our otherworldly powers, thanks to our patrons, our patrons, DM Thunderbum, Marley R., Gar the Pirate, Time Warp, Nico Y, Zach G, No Ma'am, Michelle T, Alan E, Felix R, Chris F, The Senate, Lucas D, Lila G, The GM Tim, Thomas W, Tyler G, Tyan, Heavy Arms, Eric R, Aldros, Leprechaun, and Will HP. Keep bestowing these dark powers upon me, and I will do whatever you want. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> We just entered into a terrible contract. Yeah, what are you going to do? Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Reddit. You can also join that awesome community of players and DMs by joining our Discord and throwing your ideas for a warlock at us. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening and, and give me power. <laughs> Unlimited power. I shudder to think what you could do with it.